Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena, only a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month, we're going to talk with past award winners of the Respect Life Award and different areas of pro-life work. This week, we're talking with our 2018 winner, Father Tom McQuillan. Hello, Father Tom, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be here. All right. So, Father Tom, I think the primary ministry you were nominated for was your work in prison ministry. I guess you're not doing that so much right now as a pastor, but tell us how you first got involved in that. Well, I got involved in prison ministry back when I was in seminary. I was studying in Washington, D.C. and doing some apostolic work with a couple, elderly couple that was pretty much homebound. And they had a grandson who was arrested. And the grandmother was very worried. And of course, she couldn't get down to see him. So she asked if I would go. I went and visited him in the D.C. jail and continued to visit him over the months. And from there, it snowballed a little bit. Some other grandmother type figures found I was doing this and asked me to visit their sons. And I think overall, I visited maybe about four or five different young men who were incarcerated at the time. Then from there, my first assignment was in Norwalk, Ohio. There was a uh, corrections officer. I think she was a county jail manager who was a Catholic and trying to get services in the county jail. So I did some up there in Norwalk. Then I went to the missions for 10 years, so had very little experience with their prisons. But when I came back, I was assigned to Mansfield, which, of course, has two very large prisons that we were serving. Then after Mansfield, I was assigned to the seminary in Cincinnati, and I reached out to Christine Shamrock, offering my services to help with the prison ministry there. Christine Shamrock was the director of prison ministry for the Archdiocese at that time. I know you're not done yet, but it's just interesting how you got started. You said someone who knew you asked you to visit her son. Or her grandson? grandson. Her grandson. And then what? She started talking with her friends or something along those lines and and recommended. And that's how you got started visiting other people's grandchildren and children? Well, I think in in one of the other cases, it was another elderly lady that it came up in the conversation. I was visiting her separately. I believe it was a hospital setting, actually. And she might have mentioned about her grandson being in prison. So I think I offered to visit him. And then in some cases, it was one prisoner referring me to another. You just never know how word of mouth, how the Holy Spirit is going to get, you know, you you say yes to one thing. (laughs) And then the people you know and the networks that that happen and kind of changes can change your life. So, sorry. So back to the story. So that's how it started. You did some mission, which kind of took you away from it. But then you came back to Cincinnati. And then you contacted Christine, who was the prison ministry director at that time. So then what did you start doing at that point? Well, it started simply by offering masses at Warren and Lebanon Correctional. So masses, what do do they have? Is it Sunday, Saturday, or just daily masses or what? It would be a Saturday morning, at at least at the time I was there. Worked great with the seminary schedule, of course. So I could take off and offer those masses on Saturday morning, early afternoon, and get back to my other duties. And then after... 
I think at first it was only about once a month that I was doing that because there was another priest at the time, uh, forgetting his last name, Father Gene, a Jesuit priest, who okay. was doing twice a month. But Father Gene retired and went up to Michigan. And so I took over pretty much doing the masses all the time until we could get other priests cleared to come into the prison and help out. Right. So do these prisoners, at least at that time, did they not have access to Sunday Mass? It was just whatever they could get? Well, we have to work with the prison schedules, and they're limited in space. And of course, there are many different faiths. So the time we had was Saturday, but we would usually offer a Sunday-type Mass, okay. going through right. the Sunday readings and singing the Gloria or reciting the Creed. So they would have more of a Sunday experience than a daily mass experience. Although liturgically speaking, it wasn't, you know, you couldn't celebrate a Sunday mass, but of course it was their mass. It was their mass for the week. That's all they have access to. Right. 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 So did you do more than saying mass? Did you visit with certain, did you get to know certain prisoners? As time went by, I would go out other days. Thursdays would offer an RCIA type class to the prisoners at Lebanon. And, and Wednesdays, there was a program with many volunteers coming in, teaching different courses. And if I had the time, I tried to make myself available to talk one-on-one with anyone who wanted to talk, go to confession. Right. Did you have any experiences of someone coming to the church, baptism, confirmation, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. Every year we were working with anywhere from two to five different men who were looking at joining the church. And their situations were quite varied. Some were young and seeking baptism. Some were much older and also seeking the faith, maybe already baptized and just wanted to be received into the Catholic church. Right. Do you have one or two that stood out for you? You want to share that person's story? In many ways, they were all somewhat similar and somewhat varied. Um, You know, the similarity is the struggle to come to the faith within that environment, because there's so much pressure on them from different people. I think what attracts them to the faith quite often is our hospitality, our openness, our compassion. And for many of them, that sense of being given something without any quid pro quo might be a new experience for them. And we're giving the faith freely and only expecting the the change of heart, the conversion, not looking for anything for ourselves personally. Right. And I think that often inspires and moves them. And when they come into the church, often there's a good zeal in the prison life. Those who have been released... I've had very little contact, of course, once they've gotten out and gone back to home areas. And I'm not sure how much that continued beyond the environment. They had a nice community within the prison that was supportive of them. Then when they got out again, we were still working on trying to help them make that transition. Right. I know that Marty Arlinghouse is the current director of prison ministry for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and he's working really hard on trying to develop that program for people after they get out of prison. So did you lead Bible studies, faith groups? Did you encounter mostly people who were raised Catholic or mostly people who were interested in exploring the Catholic faith? In many cases, it was people who were not raised Catholic. There were a few who were raised Catholic. Um, Of course, the Hispanics, there's a lot of the the cultural kind of Catholicism with many of them. Many of them still need the sacraments. 
There was one man I remember, an older man, first name was John. He started to come to the classes and was showing interest. I don't think he had ever been baptized, if I recall rightly. And he was quite a challenge because he couldn't read. And so much of our programming, our education is always a little more on the intellectual side. Here's the material, read it, ask questions. So in that case, I was able to find a seminarian who was willing to work with him one-on-one. And while the main class was meeting and going through the books, these two were sitting in a different part of the chapel doing a one-on-one discussion. I'm not sure if John ever joined the church because I got transferred before he could. So was that a situation where when you first met him, you knew that he was not able to read? Or did you hand him a piece of paper to read and then he had to admit to you? Right. And then was was he like not really happy to admit it or he was so used to telling everybody it was no big deal for him? He covered it well, but he admitted it and we kept it also confidential. Okay, There's that concern of not showing any kind of weakness with the other guys. Right. You know, I probably wouldn't have known if he didn't tell me. Any, any of the ones that you brought in, if you, I don't mean you brought in, but, uh, but you were at the, at the time, right? When they got, when they were received into the church, is that, does that happen at Easter, I assume, like around Easter time, like it does for most people with our RCIA, the archbishop typically comes that yeah. day? Yes, we usually try to do it around Easter time. There was one time Bishop Benzer came in and received the men and baptized the men who were coming in. I think that year we might have had five. And then other times I would do it myself. The ceremonies are always moving for the men to see the full Catholic rite with the pouring of the water, the anointing with chrism, the clothing with the white garment, holding the candle. They're powerful ceremonies. Yeah, and that's probably something they've probably never seen anything like it probably before. They never grew up going to that mass. You know, for right. example, with, you know, with their yeah. family or anything like that. few of the prisoners seem to have had much experience with the full glory of the Catholic liturgy. <laughs> right. Right. I'm sure. Any other stories you want to highlight there? Like, oh, this person, he seemed rough and tough. But then, but you could see once we were talking, he really had the vulnerable side. I don't know. Any stories like that? When it comes to some of those who were raised Catholic and got caught up into some kind of crime and were incarcerated, there were a few times I went to Lucasville, was filling in over there. Lucasville is a higher security level. And not always sure why the men get sent to which prison. But I remember there in Lucasville, some of the the quality of the confessions and and the, the sincerity of the men who... I hope have probably reached the bottom and now we're hoping to climb out of the hole. And it probably really did feel like climbing out of a hole being in that prison. Some of the conversations with some of the men, there, there was a genuine seeking there. What I'm not sure about always is exactly what was being sought. Right. The divine or if it was something more earthly that they were seeking. And of course, over the years, would see some men make genuine progress in their faith life, in their moral life even. But in other cases, would see some where they would slip back. And I think we all do that. We all make some progress in our moral life, and then we fall back into old habits or temptations. And they were also struggling with that also. And their environment makes it probably much harder to live a more saintly, holy kind of life. 
So when they, they were making the progress, it was always great. And we kept encouraging them. When they fell back into the stuff again, pick yourself up and let's try again. Right. Father Tom, at some point you got reassigned. And I guess, do you have any involvement with prison ministry right now as a pastor? Not right now. I'm in the county seat of Wood County, Bowling Green, Ohio, and have made a few visits to the jail for individuals. Okay. Not for leading services or any programs yet. Right. Of course, the pandemic hasn't helped with gathering people together. I know that prison ministry has totally changed in the past year. It's not easy to get into the prison, you know, right now. So you did some other ministry, this ministry with disabilities in some way. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. Besides volunteering for uh, the prisons when I arrived in Cincinnati, the Archbishop's office had sent out an email, I think towards the end of 2013. Um, They were looking for a priest to assist at Summit Behavioral Healthcare Center, the, the mental hospital for the Cincinnati area. At the time, it was about a 90-year-old Franciscan who was actually residing at the Little Sisters and still coming and offering Mass for the residents. Um, I believe he had been doing that for almost 50 years. And of course, it was something he could no longer do. So I volunteered my services there. I know some other priests also did, and we divided it up over time. And... That was going in weekly again, offering the Mass, and then occasionally going out Friday afternoons and doing one-on-one, meeting with the patients, praying with them, maybe hearing confessions. And then at one point, the Protestant chaplain passed away unexpectedly. So for a while, I would do both services, an ecumenical service and then a Catholic Mass afterwards, trying to serve as many of the residents as we could. Most of the patients are what they call forensic. They're sent there by the court, usually because of some crime. Maybe for being evaluated for the crime, or maybe they were found not guilty by reason of insanity and are there for treatment. So the patients were quite varied. I enjoy taking the seminarians to let them see the struggles of those with the mental health issues, because I find it every place I go. People struggling with depression, bipolar, anxiety, having a family member with those kind of issues, and the great patience that it often takes to not only live with those kind of issues, but to love somebody with those issues and try to support them. Right. It's probably true to say something like, you meet one, you've met one, right? They're all, they're all of course, individually unique you know, God-designed people. The people in that environment, are they usually people who just don't have much contact with their own families? And the people there, anybody that visits them, that's all they got? It varies greatly. I think some of them, the families are very supportive and coming quite often. In other cases, I think there's estrangement. Right. But these were, and then were these, again, mostly people who have some... Not great cognitive disabilities, but but some kind of a mental illness, you know, of of varying things that makes it difficult for them to stay in society for, you know, whatever that might be. Right. Right. Yeah. I Um, can't mention any names because of, of privacy, but, you know, there was one case where I had the impression that he was probably on the streets most of his time and then would probably become some kind of public nuisance and 
the police would take him to the center and he'd get treatment, get better, released, and might have been a revolving door in his case. In other cases, uh, the conditions were more severe. Maybe like a paranoid schizophrenic who might have done something violent is then incarcerated. Or who knows, maybe the rest of his or her life, depending on how they respond to treatment and if courts decide that they can be released safely. Is there a story there or a way that you can share a story there that's, that shows something that stands out as the way, as where you saw God most clearly perhaps working and how you met someone in that particular ministry? Most often I would see it in the way they would treat one another. It was at times where they, they kind of all knew we're in this, maybe not together, but we're all kind of going through the same thing. There was a patience and a compassion that they could often show to one another. Of course, there were other moments, but it, it was those moments where I would see one patient helping another patient that was always most encouraging. It was that kind of reminder of Simon helping Jesus carry the cross or Jesus helping Simon carry the cross, right. <laughs> that they were doing it together. So, so, Father Tom, you're not doing that ministry right there anymore as a pastor, but uh, is someone doing what you used to be doing? I believe after I left, Bishop Binzer was helping with that. And um, Summit Behavioral is close to Our Lady of Levon Parish. And okay. I believe the, the Vietnamese father there was also assisting on occasion. And then there were some lay women who had been doing this for years. One was a retired nurse from that facility. One lady had started as a teenager, I think, in the 1960s. Wow. Continued to serve the people through all these years. And she has seen a lot of changes with the way that we assist those with mental health issues. Of course, back in the 60s, it was the old Longview, and I think it might have been like a 3,000-bed facility. Now it's a 300-bed facility. At the time, she was driving buses to pick people up for the masses. Yeah, we, we try to take take care of more people, try to keep them in their families more often now than have them in. in, in right. And there's like been that. great improvements with uh, the treatment, the med, medicines that are available. Right. Terrific. Well, let's talk real quick about someone wanting to get involved. We mentioned that you were there under the direction of Christine Shemrock, who has been married and is now Christine Morallen. But director now is Marty Arlinghouse. Do you have any interest in volunteering or finding out how you might be able to do that in prison ministry? I'll bring it up on the screen real quick. If you're on the podcast, just go to catholicaoc.org. And when you go to offices, you can find prison ministry. Or you can find it for catholicaoc.org slash offices slash prison dash ministry. On there, you can find the phone number and email address of the director, Marty Arlinghouse, M. Arlinghouse at CatholicAOC.org, and you'll be able to contact him to find out how you can get involved in that. As always, regular listeners know, just go to CatholicAOC.org slash being pro-life, and all the links that we talk about the whole month are going to be there on that page. But there's a prison ministry page. If you're watching the video, there's a little picture of Archbishop Schnur apparently welcoming some prisoners into the church, probably at this particular service. This is probably a recent one. You can definitely get involved in ministry that way. Okay, anything else you wanted to share? <laughs> in terms of the, the mental health facility, if someone is interested, I could probably put them in contact with some of the ladies who were assisting me. 
I'm not sure what the status is with one, the pandemic, and two, even prior to the pandemic, they seem to be tightening up some of the requirements for volunteers. My okay. email address is frtom, Father Tom, at stalbg.org, which is short for St. Aloysius Bowling Green organization. St. Aloysius Okay, very good. Terrific. Well, Father Tom, thanks for talking with us today and sharing uh, about your time in prison ministry and the work you've done in mental health as well in this archdiocese. And thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you, Bob, for this opportunity and God bless you and your work. And I want to thank all our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view more resources talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash beingprolife. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time.